Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. And looking at this book in uh, 1 Thessalonians, where Paul writes to this young church, and he's giving them all these different tips and tricks and, and framework for how to live in terms of following Jesus. Now, there's an author and a leader, his name is Bill George, and he says this in his book, True North. He says, the hardest person that you're ever going to lead is yourself. The hardest person that you're going to lead is yourself. I wonder if you know that to be true. When you think about your life and you think about the things that maybe you have hopes and dreams and desires for your life, and then maybe some of the actions or lack of actions around uh, fulfilling out on some of those. But the hardest person that we're going to lead in our life is going to be ourselves. St. Francis of Assisi weighed in on this debate and he called his body Brother Donkey. That's what he called his body. He called it Brother Donkey because it seemed to have a mind of its own. I wonder if you can relate. Uh, I wonder when you think about some of your dreams and some of your desires and then you match that with some of your decisions and your disciplines I wonder if there is alignment or at times a little bit of misalignment as well. If we're honest with ourselves, I think we'd agree that leading ourselves is one of the hardest things around. Let me put some hypotheticals in front of you. It might be that you got yourself a gym membership. You did the right thing. It's not the gym's fault. You did the right thing. You paid up front 12 months and then you looked back on it Uh, 12 months later, at what each session that you went to cost, and you went, hmm, I don't know if we can do that again. Or you bought yourself a treadmill, great idea. But then it ended up just being something that you'd hang people's coats on when they came around to visit you. Or remember that time that you wanted to learn a musical instrument? Great desire to learn that musical instrument. You even knew which one you wanted to learn, and then, well, you just haven't got around to doing it yet. Or that time that you wanted to learn a language. You might have even been going to a certain place and all you learnt was, hello, my name is. Bonjour, je m'appelle Michael. Maybe they're just my examples. But maybe you find yourself in my examples as well. Because leading yourself can be really hard. And it's the same in our faith walk. We have a desire to live out holistic, integrated lives and leading ourselves in in our daily walk with God can be a really difficult thing to do. Sometimes our dreams and our desires don't match up with our decisions and our disciplines. There can be a misalignment. And if you find yourself in that position, well, you're not alone. You're absolutely not alone because where we find ourselves in 1 Thessalonians 4 and the passage today This is what Paul is talking to this young church in Thessalonica about. He's talking to them about how they can lead themselves and how they can walk out their faith in their daily lives. So our passage today, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 12, Paul changes gears in, in many ways from thanksgiving, from prayer, from friendship advice last week, to emphasizing the importance of living out your faith in your daily walk and how the young followers of Jesus and this church, the Thessalonian church, can take responsibility for actually doing that. In verse 1, he begins by saying, as for other matters. 
So he has an intent where he shifts his focus in the letter. And in verses 1 and in verse 12, he uses the words how to live and daily life. And these, these words, how to live in daily life, actually translate out to be walk. So he's talking to them about how they, uh, how they could actually live for God in their daily walk. So very practical what Paul is writing uh, to this young church. Uh, how they can focus on Jesus in their daily walk and how they can have their everyday lives wrapped around following Jesus. And Paul really gives us two big ideas In verses 1 through to verse 12, he gives us two uh, big ideas of how we can follow Jesus in our daily walk, how we can lead ourselves in and through this process. And they are these, to love God and to love others. Love God and love others. And you might be thinking, Mike, I've heard that before. Where have I heard that before, to love God and to love others? Well, it actually comes from Jesus himself. Uh, In Matthew 22, when Jesus is being quizzed by an expert of the law and and this expert of the law is trying in many ways to trick Jesus and he says, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And this is what Jesus says in verses 37 to 40 in Matthew 22. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. So what Jesus is doing here, he's essentially boiling down the the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. He boils them down into four words. He says, love God, love others. That's what it's all about. If you haven't got around to reading the first five books of the Old Testament, well, I've just given you the snapshot there for free, all right? And then what Paul does is he uses this framework when instructing the young Thessalonian church and how to live out their faith in their daily lives. So Paul uses this framework that he's read and and learnt from Jesus and passing it on to this young Thessalonian church. So let's dig into a little bit more. Big ideas for today, loving God, loving others. Let's look at this first one about loving God. 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 1 to 8 says this, "'As for other matters, brothers and sisters,' We instructed, you, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in the way that is holy and Honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. See, for Paul, the most important thing is to live a life that pleases God. It's not the first time we've heard this in this letter. So for Paul, he postures himself 
before God and he says, God, the most important thing I wanna do is live a life that pleases you. And this is what he's passing on to this young church. Essentially is what he's saying here is he wants to live a life that loves God. And for Paul to love God is to pursue holiness. To love God is to pursue holiness. And three times here, that Paul calls the church here in Thessalonians to holiness. Verse three, it says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. In some translations, it says it's God's will that you should be holy. Uh, to be sanctified, uh, this is just a really a theological term that means to become more like Jesus. So this process of being sanctified means that as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, you become more like him. This is this process of sanctification. Paul's saying in verse three here that it's God's will that you should become holy. In verse four, he says, control your body in a way that is holy. And in verse seven, he says, live a holy life. So Paul's really pressing the button here in terms of a living uh, in a holy way. And living in a holy way reflects the fact that you love God. It's not something that you do out of obligation. It's actually the other way around. It flows out of where your love is. It's really important that we understand that. So it really makes me ask the question, you might ask the same question, well, what is holiness? Like really, what is that? Is that just some sort of churchy word or, or, or how do we actually understand that? And the word holiness, the Greek word for holy is hagios, and it literally means to be set apart or to be unique. And for Paul, we need to understand this. For Paul, holiness is a really positive concept. It's like a value add. It's enriching one's life to become holy because we're actually learning what it means to be set apart, to be unique, and to become more like God himself. In Leviticus 11 verse 44, it says, I am the Lord your God, be holy as I am holy. So there's a call from God's people to be set apart, to be unique, to become more like God in the way in which we live our lives. A theologian, Michael Holmes says this, he says, holiness for Paul is a matter of becoming more and more like the God who has chosen, called and saved us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So holiness is being set apart by God. It's being unique. It's becoming more and more like God. This is this process of holiness. We don't just arrive at this. It's something that we work our way towards as we become more like God. And in some ways, we could have a theoretical conversation about this and, and you could say, yep, get it, no worries, awesome, that's great. But what Paul does next is he grounds it in a real life situation. So he grounds holiness in sexual purity. And that's, that's the place in which he says to this young Thessalonian church, hey, let's have a conversation about what holiness looks like. You might kind of understand the concept, you might remember it, you know, from what uh, you, might, you might have heard in the past, but actually let's have a look at what this means in this situation. And, and basically what he's saying in verse three, is he says, be holy by avoiding sexual immorality. And he's saying this is a really important part of what it means to be, what it means to be holy. See, the Greek word for sexual immorality here is pornea. And it might be a word that you go, oh, okay, I understand that because that's where we get the modern day word for porn and pornography. 
And we kind of might just think of that as something that, you know, someone might watch on a screen or look in a magazine or something like that. You might, might have a bit more of a narrow focus on porn. But actually, what Paul was saying with this word pornea actually was much broader than that. It covered all sorts of sexual sin. Uh, so when he talks about avoiding sexual morality, he's talking about avoiding all sorts of sexual sin that doesn't make us holy, from sex outside of marriage to adultery uh, through to uh, anything that you can probably think about in that context. And what's really important to recognise is the, the church in Thessalonica, that the, the city of Thessalonica, the Greco-Roman world in the first century, was very similar to today in terms of its view on sexuality. So in our culture today, it's pretty much anything goes. And if you hold a, maybe even a different view on that or a more traditional view we've seen in recent times, then you can actually you know, get some pushback uh, over that. And in the first century in Thessalonica, it was much the same, very overt sexual culture. Uh, um, there was a, a lot of let's say, a movement of people around different, you know, partners and people and things like that. And sometimes, even in married relationships, it was encouraged for extramarital affairs and things like that. It was quite interesting as I was reading and studying, you know, for today around some of this. And I thought, wow, okay, another part of this book, which is actually quite similar to the culture and the times that we find ourselves in here in the 21st century in a Western context as well. So Paul's writing into this context and into this way and what he's basically saying is he's saying that you can live a life of holiness as you are set apart by God and you pursue purity. You pursue purity and don't just fall into the ways that maybe you've lived already. And he's writing this to this church and he's kind of grounding this idea of holiness in this way because you gotta remember there's a lot of people coming to faith this church is growing and this church is starting to have uh, influence in churches in other parts of the area. And he's thinking, okay, this is, an, this is a particular focus that maybe we need to just understand what God thinks about it. So when Paul talks about holiness and he grounds it in avoiding sexual immorality, he's talking about how when you are pure before God and you're growing to become more like him, this is the things that we should be going after. It's important that we kind of understand that. And for Paul, his sexual ethic is very clear from this passage. In verses uh, three, in verse three, he says, avoid sexual immorality. It, it, to avoid is a bit like a, a defensive move, you know, to back away and to say, okay, I'm going to avoid this. But then in verse four, he says, control your body. He says, control your body so that you are holy and honourable. And to control is a bit more of an offensive move, you know, take a step forward. So you can avoid things and then control. And it's probably between the tension of both of these, knowing what to avoid and how to control, that actually you can, you can pursue holiness in your life. So to avoid and to control are essential elements in leading yourself well and loving God. So therefore, let me ask you today, how would you describe your pursuit of holiness? How would you describe your pursuit of holiness? Is it on your radar? Is it something that you actually consider? Do you see it as a positive concept that out of your love for God, you are to become holy? Or is it something that maybe you just haven't thought about much or you're just swimming in the culture of the day and haven't really considered much of what it actually means to be set apart, to be 
unique and to be more and more like God. Let me ask you more specifically around sexual purity. Uh, Any areas that you need to avoid in your life that maybe you've been engaging in? How will you do this? And in what areas of your life do you need to show control? How do you need to do that? Who do you need to talk to about that? It's probably just not a conversation just for yourself. And what I find fascinating is that Luke and I didn't really talk much about what the moment that he was going to lead in worship until this morning. And he said, oh, I want to lead a time around confession and forgiveness. I said, oh, that kind of fits well into where I'm going today. He goes, would you like me not to do it? And I said, oh, no, God is stitching something together for us today. So in, in the grace that God gives in and through his life for us, isn't it amazing that maybe today, even if there's just one here in the room or online, well, you know that God has noticed you in such a way that he's raised the temperature around confession and repentance and forgiveness, around maybe things that you need to avoid in life or an area where you need to show control. Because God's desire for us is to become holy, to become holy, more and more like him. So to walk out our faith is to love God, but it's also to love others. Verses nine nine to 12 say this, now about your love for one another, We do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we have told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anyone. So Paul calls the Thessalonian church here to love others. He's been talking about loving God and now he changes his focus to love others and he speaks about their love for all the churches in Macedonia and in many ways, he encourages them to keep going. He's saying, keep going. And in verses nine to 10, what he's basically saying uh, to this young church, he's saying, you have been blessed to be a blessing. That's what he's saying to him. You've been blessed by God to be a blessing to others. And honestly, like, honestly, this could be a word that Paul writes to us in our context right here today. He could be writing this letter to Clovey. You know, he could be saying to us here today, we've been blessed by God so be a blessing to others. And this is the heartbeat that's in the church here at Clovey. If you haven't been with us for a long period of time, you need to know that part of the heartbeat in this faith community is generosity. We know that we have been blessed by God to be a blessing to others. You know, right at the beginning of the pandemic last year, we made a decision for our heart for the house to put aside money to love and assist local churches that were struggling and in need. This was before JobKeeper or any government assistance or anything that we knew like that. And we've been able to pay an insurance bill for a church in in our Baptist movement who didn't have the funds to do that. We've been able to help uh, another church who lost equipment um, that was stolen, that wasn't covered by insurance. We've been able to help another church with a local mission 
mission initiative to serve the poorest of the poor in their local area. And that's all because as a church, we postured ourselves before God, say, God, you've given us all that we need. How can we bless others? It's a beautiful thing. This year, we've been able to give over $50,000 to the Baptist World Aid COVID Relief Appeal, which is a global appeal, so that those in the world who do not have access to basic health needs can have access to basic health needs through the generosity of the church here. You know, every day across the road at Pathway, we serve up to 150 people who come for hampers, who are in our local community, who are doing life tough, really tough. You don't have to scratch the surface very far around here. You know, could be you or a friend or a family member that, that is in your relational orbit. You don't have to scratch very far to realise there is a lot of need. And as a church, we posture ourselves before God to say, God, you have blessed us. Let us be a blessing to others. And every day we get to do that across the road, which is a remarkable thing to be part of. You know, a few years ago, we sent a bunch of people and, and actually a fair bit of money uh, to the northern suburbs to plant a church in Andrew's farm. That church is growing and, uh, and uh, it's got great leadership with Lindsay Mays. And missionaries that we support here, Mike and Anne Hay, are part of the leadership team. And we still get to bless them today because we have a worship team that cycles through and helps and serves and blesses them. We know that we've been blessed here to be a blessing to others. We support local chaplains through schools ministry group. We have three families that we support and release on mission at about a day a week. And just a couple of weeks ago, the team took the coffee cart up to the Heights School where we have a great relationship with the school and the team served over about 120 coffees and banana bread to the staff at the Heights School with the simple message, thank you, thank you. You do a great job teaching in this area and we just want to bless you and we want to say thank you. So if you didn't know, that's the, part of, that's, that's the church that you're a part of. Not just that, it's part of the church that you are crafting and growing and developing as we posture ourselves before God and we say we have been blessed not to hold that blessing but to be a blessing to others. And you know what Paul would say if he was here today? He would say, he would say do it more and more. Do it more and more. Continue to be a blessing to others. You know, one of the greatest encouragements we receive from uh, the mayor of Tetragali in recent times is when he came and he said, you know what, you guys, you guys are the seven-day-a-week church. He said, there's a lot of churches in the area. There's 55 churches in Tetragali, by the way. Uh, he said, there's a lot of churches in the area. And he said, but a lot of churches are only open a day a week. You guys are open seven days a week, and I want to thank you for that. And I was like, wow, that's a real affirmation that someone from outside our area has noticed that and would say that back to us. We have been blessed to be a blessing to others. And Clovey, we don't talk about loving people. We actually do it. We actually walk it out. It's part of our DNA. It's part of our story. We've been blessed to be a blessing. And like I said, Paul would want to say verse 10 back to us. Do it more and more. Do it more and more. And then Paul finishes his passage by encouraging the Thessalonians to work hard and to earn the respect of those that are not in their faith community, verses 11 and 12. And this is another outworking, really, of, of loving others 
and walking out our faith. Really important aspect to that. So, you know, probably not many times in church you'd be asked this, and this is not, you know, your annual review or you're not having a conversation with the line manager here with me, but let me ask you honestly, like, what's your work ethic like? Do you have a strong work ethic? Would people that are not part of the church actually say, oh, that person, they work hard. I've got a strong work ethic. Yeah, they, they do their best to increase things around you. I wonder if you ever thought the Bible would ask you that question, but it's important for you to consider that today. But let me ask you another question. Uh, how would your colleagues, your family, your friends describe your work ethic? Because I think sometimes the real test for us in walking out our faith is when people not of faith describe us. And maybe they've got their own things going on, sure. But how would someone not of faith describe you and your work ethic and how you hold yourself in the workplace? Interesting challenge, I think, because it's the integrity test, isn't it? You know, words like integrity, compassion, respect, honour, kindness, authentic. Are these the words that people would come to mind for you? It's important that we ask ourselves this question. Do we have the respect of those around us? If the answer is yes, how can we build upon that? How can we grow into that? But if the answer is no, as much as it is up to you, what can you do about that? How can you step towards? How can you build relationship? How can you grow trust so that you can earn the respect of those not part of our faith community? Maybe those not following Jesus, you could be the person that God has brought into their path so that they can have an opportunity to get to know Him more and more. So today, Paul calls us here at Clovey, very simply, to love God and to love others. To love God and to love others. And that's what it means and looks like to walk out our faith But the big question that I have for you today, and I need your full attention for this, is this. Are you going to lead yourself or be led by the environment that you are in? Are you gonna lead yourself with the gospel of King Jesus in you? Or are you gonna be led by the environment in which you're in? kind of makes me think a little bit about, you know, the thermostat and the thermometer. The thermostat that sets the temperature in a room and the thermometer that simply just tells you what the temperature is. When you consider what it means to love God, when you consider what it means to love others, when you consider what it means to walk out your faith, you're going to lead yourself or be led by the environment. You're going to be that thermostat that sets that temperature or are you going to be that thermometer that goes up and down depending on the environment that you're in see with God's leading and the Holy Spirit's empowering God desires us to love Him to pursue holiness and to love others and walk it out in all the different environments that we find ourselves in will you stand with me Stand with me. Let's pray together.